Philippians chapter 1, we're picking it up today in verse 12. Let's pray and then we'll get into this. Lord, we thank you for who you are. And we thank you, Lord, for just the fact that you love us, that you've called us, that you desire to do a work in us, and that, Lord, you want us as your people to be a people filled with your joy. And so as we once again consider this theme in the book of Philippians, we ask that you would minister to our hearts, that you would teach us by your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. So once again, I want to remind you that Paul is writing here from a prison cell in Rome. And one of the things that is true, I think, of all of us is when we are going through a tough time, oftentimes that's all we can see, right? All we can see is the pain, the trouble, the difficulty that we find ourselves in, and all we're focused on is, how do I get out of this? But Paul writes this letter to the church in Philippi that is filled with joy. His tone, his heart, his attitude, his vocabulary. He mentions joy and rejoicing 16 times. And so Philippians really is a great study for us in learning how to have joy even when we're going through difficult situations. Now last week we saw four reasons for why Paul's heart was filled with joy when he thought of the believers there in Philippi. Tonight we see a big reason why Paul personally could have joy despite his difficult situation that he found himself in. Let's begin reading in verse 12. Paul says, But I want you to know, brethren, that the things which happened to me have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel so that it has become evident to the whole palace guard and to the rest that my chains are in Christ. So if you're taking notes, here's the first thing that we see about Paul, of why he was able to have joy in difficult situations, is that Paul focused on the big picture. Paul knew that God was at work, and that God had a plan. Now let me give you a little bit of background here. Paul really wanted to go to Rome. That was his heart. That was his his passion. He wanted to go to Rome and preach the gospel. It was a strong desire that he prayed about, that he thought about, and it was this just huge desire on his heart. In fact, he wrote to the Romans and said, pray for me that I may come to you with joy by the will of God that we may be refreshed Together. That was Paul's message to the church in Rome, but things didn't turn out exactly the way Paul had hoped. Now, he would make it to Rome, but not the way that he expected. You see, here's what happened. After his third missionary journey, he goes back to Jerusalem. He's in the temple area with another one of his uh, partners, ministry partners, and there, there's a ceremonial ritual that's going on. But some of the religious leaders there, they spotted Paul, and they didn't like him. 
They were not fans of him because they viewed him as a traitor, as a defector, one who defected to the other side, that he went to the dark side. You see, Paul, he was a Pharisee. He was one of the top dogs when it came to the Pharisees, but he came to Christ. And so he turns away from all of that and begins following Jesus. And so these guys didn't like him. So they see him there in the temple court area, and these religious leaders actually start this riot. And these people attack Paul, and a Roman soldier comes along and arrests Paul, not to punish him, but really to protect him from this mob that was going to tear him apart. Well, Paul ends up being beaten by some other Roman officials, and their attitude is sort of like, you know, we think this guy's a troublemaker. So maybe we can beat some sense into him. That's kind of their mentality. But as they're beating Paul up, he pulls out his Roman citizenship card and says, you can't beat me because I'm a Roman citizen. And it was actually against the law to beat a Roman citizen. And so these guys are like, oh no, we're in trouble. We're actually the ones breaking the law here. And so they're pleading with Paul to kind of be gracious to him. And and then finally to get rid of Paul, the Roman officials in Jerusalem send him to Caesarea by the sea. You've been to Israel, you know that that's kind of a cool place to be. But again, Paul was in prison, and so it wasn't the greatest place to be, but it's a pretty spot there on the ocean, and Paul ends up spending two years there, and he goes through three different trials. The first is with Governor Felix, and then after that trial, he goes and stands before the next governor, Governor And then he ends up standing before the king, Herod Agrippa himself. And after two years, Paul finally says, I'm done with this. This judicial system, it's crazy. And he appeals his case to Caesar, which he was perfectly... um, it was legal for him to do that. It was right for any, the right of any Roman citizen. And so they put him on a ship. But understand, it wasn't a cruise ship. It's not the Princess Cruise. It was a prison ship that they were sending him on. And so Paul's going to Rome. And yes, the government, the Roman government is paying for it. But he's going as a prisoner. And he almost doesn't make it because the ship he's on actually shipwrecks and and sinks and Paul has to swim to shore, but he finally gets to Rome where he finds himself in jail again. And everything that I just shared with you is under the banner, look at verse 12 of this phrase, but all the things that happened to me. This is what he's referring to. Everything that, that happened to me to get me here, and to get me to this place where I'm here in this prison cell, and this is what I want you to note. The life of the Apostle Paul speaks loudly to us that our life doesn't have to be defined by the things that have been done against us. Note that. Our life doesn't have to be defined by the things that have been done against us. Life doesn't have to be defined by the circumstances that haven't turned out the way that we hoped that they would turn out. And Paul's insight is this. God got me to Rome, and now he's given me a new ministry. And my new ministry now is amongst the palace guard. 
And there were about 10,000 troops in what was known as the palace guard, or it's also called the praetorian guard. And these guards were also the bodyguards of Caesar himself and the royal family. So that would be part of their duty as being a part of the palace guard. Now, Paul starts off in a dungeon. In fact, he writes to Timothy and says, hey, can, when next time you're, you come to Rome, will you bring my coat? Because it's cold here, especially in the wintertime. It's cold in this prison cell. But eventually, Paul gets moved to a private home. He's under what we would call house arrest. And under house arrest, he's guarded 24 hours a day by a Roman guard. The guards would come in and serve in shifts of six hours. So in the course of a 24-hour day, there would be four, four guards that would be stationed and assigned to guard Paul while he's in this you know, private house. And so Paul finds himself with a captive audience. They think he's the captive, but he's like, this is awesome. Every single day they send me a new one, and I get to talk to them for six hours about Jesus. And that's what he ends up doing. And what ends up happening is a whole bunch of these guys, he says the gospel has actually gone through the whole palace guard. So we're talking 10,000 men and some of them get saved. Look again, verse 12, he says, actually, it turned out for the furtherance of the gospel. All this that has happened to me, this is the big picture that Paul is seeing turned out for the furtherance of the gospel. And some translation actually put the, that word furtherance as the greater progress of the gospel. And I think this so, is so cool. Because Paul uses here a Greek term which is referred to a corp of army engineers that would go out in front of the advancing army and they would go out and their job was to cut a way through the forest. So they would cut down trees to create a path in the forest so that the, the soldiers could travel through that. Well, Paul was saying that his chains were actually creating a pathway for the gospel to travel on. That's quite a perspective, isn't it? Paul's imprisonment for Christ did not bind the gospel, but rather it helped release it. And these Roman guards were actually coming to know Jesus, and so was some of the household of Caesar himself. Because if you flip over to chapter 4, in verse 22, notice this, Paul writes, All the saints send you greetings. Go ahead and turn there. All the saints send you greetings, especially those who belong to Caesar's household. Isn't that amazing? That's awesome. Now, this is probably how this happened. These guards, one day they'd be guarding Paul, hearing about Jesus, hearing about the gospel. The next day, they'd be guarding somebody in Caesar's house. They're their bodyguard as they're cruising through the city. And they'd say, hey, you were guarding, or have you guarded that, that Paul character? What's he like? And so these guards now have this opportunity to start talking to people in Caesar's house, part of his family, about Jesus. And some of them, they've come to Jesus. They've come to Christ, some of these guards. And they end up leading to, to, to Jesus or leading some of uh, the, the people in Caesar's own household to faith in Christ. And so it's amazing to see how God works. 
These guards that who embraced Jesus were able to share Jesus with the family members of Caesar himself. And so the gospel was spreading amongst the guards and amongst the who's who in Rome. And I want you to note, this is not the way Paul would have written this story. Paul had a desire to go to Rome. He wanted to preach the gospel there. And if Paul could have wrote the story, it wouldn't have involved a shipwreck. It wouldn't have involved getting beaten. It wouldn't have involved being in prison. But God's ways are often so different from our ways, aren't they? I love it when in Isaiah it says, you know, for my ways are higher than your ways and my thoughts are higher than your thoughts, says the Lord. And, and that is so true. And this is such a beautiful example that this, Paul would have never, I don't think he could have ever even imagined this story. I don't think you ever said, now, wouldn't it be amazing if I, you know, got shipwrecked and put in prison and they put these guards? No, he couldn't even imagine this, but I guarantee you he was super stoked for the what God did. So Paul's focus on the big picture helps him to see how God is working despite the situation, moving in even greater ways than if he was free. So the first thing that we learn about why Paul was able to have joy in a difficult situation is because he was focused on the big picture. The second reason that we see here why Paul had joy in the midst of a difficult situation is because he was seeing how others were being made more confident to preach the gospel because of his story. Look at verse 14. He says, And most of the brethren in the Lord, having become confident by my chains, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ, even from envy and strife, and some also from goodwill. The former preach Christ from selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing to add afflictions to my chains, but the latter out of love, knowing that I'm appointed for the defense of the gospel. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached, and in this I rejoice. Yes, I will rejoice. Paul says others are becoming confident to share the gospel. Now, that means they weren't confident before. And this is understandable. It was dangerous to be a Christian in Rome. One of the things that Caesar demanded was that the people in Rome would call him Lord. Well, Christians weren't going to do that. Jesus was Lord. So this is one of the reasons why so many Christians were, were martyred under the reign of Caesar because they refused to call him Lord. So it's understandable that, that these, you know, believers were a bit timid. They were, they were scared, but they're watching and they're hearing about Paul and how God's using him in prison and he's sharing Jesus and these guards are getting saved and then people in Caesar's household are getting saved and they start thinking, if Paul can be that bold in prison, I think I can be bolder out of prison. And so they have a sense of being able to begin to have more confidence to talk about Jesus and share the gospel. And they were emboldened by Paul, and now they're reaching people that Paul couldn't reach because he was in prison. Now, it's interesting in verses 15 through 18 that Paul says, you know, some preach Jesus for the wrong motives. For some of them, they want to make a name for themselves. Others, they're, they're, motive, they're, they're driven by strife or, or they're driven by jealousy. And, and I love what Paul says, though. He says, you know, I don't care. 
I don't care what their motive is. I'm just rejoicing that Jesus is being preached because this is what Paul understood. Romans chapter 1, verse 16, he said, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. Paul says this, the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. This is the beautiful thing about the gospel. It's not based, it's not, it doesn't hinge upon your ability to communicate. It doesn't hinge upon your boldness. It doesn't hinge upon, the power is in the message itself. It's like Spurgeon said, we don't need to try to defend the gospel. The gospel is like a lion that we just need to let out of its cage and let it do its thing. And that's what was happening with the believers there in Rome. So the gospel was spreading throughout Rome to the palace guard through Paul, to the Roman city through the church, because the Christians were being emboldened by Paul's example. So don't miss this. Paul wanted to go to Rome to preach the gospel, but God sends him not as a missionary, but as a prisoner. And this is the longest period of Paul's incarceration, and yet it ends up being the greatest period of Paul's impacts. Isn't that amazing? He's somewhere where he did not want to be, but it ends up being a time period in Paul's life that was the greatest period of his impact. The gospel is spreading throughout the most significant city in the Roman Empire. In other words, Paul's confinement was God's assignment. Paul's prison was God's pulpit. And God was moving and God was working. The gospel was going forth in power and great impact. Now, the third thing that we see of why Paul could have joy in difficult circumstances is that Paul had a clear passion and purpose for his life. Look at verse 19. He says, For I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, according to my earnest expectation and hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but with all boldness as always, so now also in Christ will be magnified in my body, whether by life or by death, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Here we see, first of all, Paul's passion. Found there in verse 21, for me to live is Christ. Living for Jesus became Paul's passion. That's what defined him. His life was defined was, I am all about Jesus. I'm about knowing Jesus. I'm about drawing near to Jesus. I'm about serving Jesus. And I'm about making Jesus known. For me to live is Christ. You know, it's been said that life is what you are alive to. Paul was alive to Jesus. For me to live is Jesus. It's all about Jesus. And then he says, and to die, that's gain. Because that just means I get to go be with Jesus. I get to see him, you know, face to face. Now, Paul's passion and purpose was birthed on the road to Damascus. You can read about this on your own in Acts chapter 9. 
In that story, he's Saul of Tarsus, this Pharisee, who sets out to destroy the Christian church. And he's armed with papers to go to uh, different cities and households and drag out Christians and have them put in prison and have some of them killed. But on his way to uh, Damascus, he is blinded by a light that he describes in Acts 26 as being brighter than the sun at noonday. He hears a voice, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he knows exactly who it is because he responds, who are you, Lord? And then he asks the second question, what do you want me to do? And those two questions really form for the rest of his life, Paul's passion, who are you, Lord? His whole passion becomes about, I want to know Jesus. I want to know more about Jesus. I want to get closer to Jesus. And his purpose becomes, and what do you want me to do? How do you want to use my life? What's my purpose in the grand scheme of things? You know, this is a great question, I think, for all of us here to ask. Lord, what's my purpose? How do you want to use my life in in your kingdom? How do you want to use my life in, in the sphere of influence where you have placed me? Our passion should be to know Jesus. Our purpose should be, Lord, how do you want to use me? How do you want to work through my life? But let me ask you this question. What are you alive to? How would you fill in the blank to this question? For me to live is fill in the blank. Would it be work? Would it be my spouse? Would it it be my house or my friends or my kids or my boyfriend or my girlfriend or the sport I'm involved in? For me to live is what? How would you feel in that question? I know in my life for a long time, I could say, for me to live is baseball. That was my, that was my thing. That was my passion. That's what, what I was about. What's the thing that marks your life? What are you alive to? We need to be alive to Jesus. He needs to be central. He needs to be the focus. That was Paul's passion. And I love the way that Paul describes his purpose in verse 20. Look at it again. He says, and so now also Christ will be magnified in my body, whether by life or by death. Paul had a very unique perspective on life. He viewed life as a stage or a platform for Christ to be magnified upon. That no matter what happened, no matter what the outcome of his imprisonment would be, that Christ would be magnified in his life. But here's the question. How can a mere human being ever magnify, we think of make bigger, the Son of God? Well, think of it this way. The stars are much bigger than we can see with the naked eye. But we get out a telescope. And we look through the telescope. And what does it do? It magnifies the star or it magnifies the planet, and it brings them closer into human view. Well, our lives are like the telescope that brings Jesus closer to people. You see, most people, especially unbelievers, to them, Jesus is distant. He's hard to fathom. He's like a star way out in the galaxy. But when the unbeliever is allowed to watch a believer's life, especially when that believer is going through a time of difficulty or going in the, they're in the midst of a tragedy, Jesus is brought near to them. The believer's life is the lens that makes Jesus, a distant Jesus, come very, very close. 
Because when you're going through a difficulty and they see the way that, that God is helping you through it, they, they find themselves going, how, how, are you, how are you responding like that? How come this isn't crushing you? How come this isn't destroying you? And you're able to say, well, let me, like we've sang a couple weeks ago, let me tell you about my Jesus. That's how. That's what it's about. As Jesus is magnified in our lives, he becomes a lot more tangible and visible to others. So Paul's passion was Christ. His purpose was that Christ would be magnified in his life. And Paul has this clear perspective on death. For me to die is gain. And then finally, number four, the reason why Paul could have joy in the midst of the difficult circumstance is he was yielded to the plan of God for his life. Look at verse 22. He says, but if I live on in the flesh, this will mean fruit from my labor. Yet what I, what shall I choose? I cannot tell. For I am hard pressed between the two, having a desire to part and be with Christ, which is far better for me. (laughs) Nevertheless, to remain in the flesh is more needed for you. Paul was yielded to the plan of God for his life. Paul understood that life was about Jesus and life was about others. You know, the acronym for joy, a lot of you have heard this before, it's Jesus, others, and you. That's how you have joy. Keep Jesus in the front, others second, and you last. But oftentimes, we want to invert that because we're so, you know, self-focused. And so when you invert it, you know what you get? You got yaj. <laughs> yaj, whatever, you know. It doesn't make any sense. It's lame. And that's what happens when we, it's focused on us and then maybe others, or sometimes it's, it's just us and others because we're so concerned about what others think about us and Jesus gets left out altogether. Let me tell you a little secret. People are not thinking about you near as much as you think they are. Because most of us are so busy thinking about us. <laughs> okay? Paul's perspective was Jesus, others, And then me. And dying and going to heaven, he says, that would be better for me. I mean, I would love that. But staying is much better for you. So he says in verse 25, and being confident of this, I know that I shall remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy of faith, that your rejoicing for me may be more abundant in Jesus Christ by my coming to you again. Paul says, look, I'm confident that I'm going to be here at least a little while longer because it's profitable for you. Paul had this amazing contentment and focus for his life. He was yielded to the plan of God, and because of that, he was not troubled by his circumstances. And here's another thing that's amazing to note about this. In this time of incarceration in Rome, Paul writes the book of Ephesians, the book of Philippians, the book of Colossians, and the book of Philemon that we just studied on Sunday morning during this time. So one of the most trying times in his life was turned into one of the most profitable times in his life, and we are benefiting from that this very day. Paul had learned what Peter and James had wrote about, that God uses our trials to build our character, and he also uses our trials to open more doors for ministry. And i got to be honest with you that 
I don't, I don't always, I'm not always quick to see things like that. Paul, and we read there, talked about last week, and, and he's in Philippi, he gets put in prison, and it's midnight, and him and Silas are in prison, and they're singing, and they're not singing the blues. They're singing praise songs to Jesus. That, that's not always the way that I look at things, at least at first. Usually it takes me a little time of complaining, but I eventually get there. I often start off like David in the Psalms. You ever read the Psalms of David and First part of it, it's like he's just complaining and he's mad and he's angry and God killed this person. And, and, and then like the second half, it's like a different person wrote it. You think like, is this guy like bipolar or what, you know? I think it's all about perspective. I don't think that that all happened in once. I think like the first part happened and then maybe a couple hours or maybe a day later, <laughs> the second part is he gets his perspective back on God. And then he sees everything around him from the right perspective. He's able to say, but God, you're so awesome, and you're so amazing, and I know you're in control, and I know you've got this. And that's how it often works in my life. I can be like grumpy and complaining and upset, and then I get my eyes off of the horizontal and onto the vertical, and I see God, and then I see everything else in the right perspective. So joy starts when you can answer the question, who are you alive to. You want to have joy in your life? See the big picture. See how God is working in others. See how God is working in ways that you would least expect. keep Keep knowing Jesus as your passion and allowing Jesus to be glorified. Let that be your purpose, that your life would be magnified. And then through, through the midst of all of that, you will be one who is staying yielded to the plan of God in your life. And you'll know, like that song we sing, Waymaker, he's working even when I can't see it. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this beautiful example that we see in the life of the Apostle Paul. Joy in the midst of difficulty. Lord, I pray that you would etch this into the very core, the very fiber of our being. And Lord, that we would tonight in our discussion groups be able to encourage one another in how to be people who see the big picture. People who are locked in on the plan that you have for our lives. Lord, we give you the the, the rest of this evening and this time that we're going to spend together In Jesus' name, amen.